Expand and impact. Internal transformation for external impact. Achieve your goals without sacrificing yourself. I'm Violetta Znarkowski, but you can call me Violet. Welcome back to the Expand and Impact podcast, a space where we discuss how you can create a successful life that is an authentic expression of you and a place where we also explore the intersection between personal development and gender equity. In today's episode, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Megan Blacksmith, one of the co-founders of Zesty Ginger, a company founded on the principles of compassionate transformation. Megan is a health coach, a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, and quantum time technique hypnotherapy. And co-founder, Dr. Alex Golden, MD, help women restore optimal health through a combination of functional medicine, mindset, and subconscious reprogramming. This conversation ended with so many more questions that I would have liked to explore and dive deeper into with Megan. But isn't that always the case? There's always more to learn and more to get curious about. And that's what I love about transformational work. No matter what shape it takes, what methods you use, there is always more to uncover. And in this conversation, we did just that. We dive deep into how our health and biology isn't supported by the systems we're born into. How our beliefs shape what we believe is possible for us, and how we can begin to rewire our subconscious in a safe and compassionate way, a way that allows us to be held to a higher standard so that we can reach our goals, but one that doesn't allow us to be complacent when things start to get uncomfortable and we naturally begin to fall back into into the same old patterns that aren't allowing us to evolve into the person we need to be in order to achieve what we actually want and desire. You can't stress or force your way into health and success. And for those who say, dare to dream, it's possible, actually, that your dreams may be either too big or too small during a specific moment in time throughout your journey. They may be too big or too small for your subconscious to hold, which makes it feel unattainable and impossible for you to achieve the things you want to achieve in all different areas of your life. But with the right tools and support, no dream is actually ever too big. We just have to learn how to normalize it and actually believe in it and believe in ourselves. So this is a little bit of a intro to some of the areas we'll be discussing in today's conversation. So without further ado, let's get into it, shall we? What informs your identity? Let's start there. Okay. At this point, uh, a large part of what I believe forms my identity is vulnerability and then coaching. So Mm. what happens is that over and over, the perfect client at the perfect time will be put in front of me. And it's always a mirror. It's always a mirror for exactly what I need to see and what I need to hear and what they're going through is what I'm going through or maybe have in a different way. And often the patterns and beliefs that come up 
with the person in front of me is also exactly what I, what I need to hear. So in our trainings and teaching, we talk about perception as projection, the idea that anything you see in front of you, if you're seeing it, it's, it is a part of you. So if you think someone is looks beautiful and amazing or is successful, then you have that in you. If you also are looking at them and uh, having a whole list of things you do not like about them, that is also in you. So for me, this is the, it's the mirror. Coaching mm -hmm. becomes the mirror. And as my trainer said, she said, well, if you think you've had a huge breakthrough in coming to an event and attending, she said, just wait until you're training other coaches because it will push you to your limits where it becomes my job. And I believe it's my job to expand my ability to um, hold emotions, handle emotions, hold beliefs for other people so that they can have the container and feel held without it triggering me. And mm -hmm. I can just be there to totally hold that space. So as I've, as I've expanded, I can become a much better coach. And I really do feel like it's a feedback loop that has become my identity and, and daily informs my identity. I really appreciate that answer. And I've never heard one like it worded, obviously, like exactly as you did. But it's, I think, a really beautiful testament to allowing that identity to remain fluid and not and not be fixed. And with that fluidity, it sounds like you're growing your own capacity to be able to hold those projections in other people so that they can have their own transformational experience. Yeah. And I think it's such a balance between showing up as a leader and then also showing up with the vulnerability of I'm just like you and I'm yeah. constantly being pushed to my edge. And I had someone at just, we just recently did an in-person event we were talking about before our first, you know, day and a half uh, in-person event where I live in Virginia beach, Virginia. And, um, someone came up to me and I had mentioned, you know, thank you to everybody in the room. And to those of you who came, who were, uh, our parents of my kids, friends and that kind of thing. And she came up to me, she's like, Oh my gosh, I am not sharing my message with anyone I know. So the fact that you had invited mm -hmm. your actual acquaintances, people at your daughter's school, people down the street opened something up to her. And that was really important to her to see that she could uh, share her services and speak up to people she know. And I said to her, I want you to also know that this actually was a really uh, tricky thing for me mm. because you're seeing one thing, you're seeing the event and you're seeing how it looks. But inside the idea of actually going to local places and people I know and putting up flyers and asking them directly to their face, not on the internet, will you come? <laughs> will you show up for me? Uh, did bring up a lot of stuff and I had people not come that I thought would. And so it's important to show like you can do it and also show that from in my belief to sh also show there were things that went on behind the scenes here that were tricky for me too. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? That makes so much sense. And it's terrifying, really. I I think that was one of my biggest like breakthroughs last year in 2022 was asking people for things. It's like, it sounds so simple, but we don't ask. And many of us aren't taught to ask for what we actually need, or especially when it comes to like the growth of your business or the direction of your career or um, something to do with your health. We don't ask for what we need. And we just expect that 
things will fall into place or people will show up. And I remember the first time I like asked someone to leave a test or leave a review for my podcast. I was like shaking. I was like, this is the scariest thing ever. But also so surprising how many people said yes. Yes. And thank you for bringing that up, especially as women, I'm sure men too. There is this fear around asking. We don't ask for what we need often. And I've found that actually I had a whole situation where I needed someone to pick up my daughter from school. And normally I have, my husband is now retired. Uh, My mom lives downstairs. I have good friends. Normally I have plenty of people who could do that. And all my regular people were unavailable. And all of a sudden I realized, I was like, oh, I'm about to have to go outside of my normal range. So I'm going to have to reach out uncomfortably to someone, one of the moms at school that I don't know that well. And so I started to have this feeling around it. And I did ask someone um, and she said, of course. And what I found out later is that because I had asked her when she was in a pinch later, she said, you know what? The fact that you asked me and we didn't even really know each other that well, when I was in that same situation, I felt like I could do that as well. Mm. So us asking actually gives other people permission to do the same in the future because most of us are all kind of dealing with that same belief of it's not safe to ask or we shouldn't ask. Yeah. Yeah. Something that's coming up for me as you're saying that is, at least this was true in my case, is by me practicing reaching out and asking, it's also holding me to a higher standard because then I need to show up if people come to me for something. And it's like really this practice of like releasing any, like both expectations, judgment, but also um, like fears and competition around certain things where you can collaborate and not everyone's gonna like respond in an angry way or like reject you. And I feel like those are such deep, deep feelings that many of us experience that are really tricky to bring to the surface and overcome like the deep rejection the fear of the fear of someone saying no or ridicule that hold many of us back from asking even though it may seem like it's not even not even there at the surface right because it's a simple question can you pick my daughter up can you pick my child up but actually when you like unpack it it's like these deeper wounds that really prevent us from showing up in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is good to know just as humans, we all have that fear of abandonment. There's always going to be this little bit there. So we get to start to decide like, well, what does it mean if they say no? We can reframe that for ourselves. We can work through it. And it's just good to know that us as humans, this will come up for us. So it's something we get to work through. Yeah, and that's exciting. That invitation is exciting coming to mm-hmm. the other side of that's exciting. I'd love for you to share more about what you're doing now and what Zesty Ginger is, what you, what's your mission and how you got here. I'm sure there was a big journey to finally deciding and breaking through some of those fears to actually start up Zesty Ginger. Absolutely. So it started for me early on. At a young age, I found that I wasn't always doing stuff the conventional way. And over time, I started to see that um, there was a certain way that everybody wanted you to be. There was a certain box that you were supposed to fit in. And this happened really early on, and many of us experienced this. And over time, so then when I wanted to break out of that box, 
from the traditional path. So I never thought I would be here in, I'm now in holistic health, functional medicine, and more specifically, we teach coaches, practitioners, leaders, entrepreneurs to add NLP, uh, subconscious reprogramming hypnosis to their practice to get their clients' results and their results faster. I actually was started in mechanical engineering. That was what I went to college for. That's what I did for the first 10 years. I worked in a corporate office. And over time, I loved the people. I loved the design work. I loved the intellectual part of it. I'm a nerd at heart. I love the studies. And we were making little plastic parts that go in cars. Mm -hmm. So it just started to wear on me at a soul level of this thing that I'm making is not really serving the world in a in an amazing way that I know I'm meant to. So my own postpartum health crash, I had a, I have a daughter who's now 12. And so after she was born, I like to say I fell off the hormone cliff, <laughs> discovered that there is a whole world of holistic health, functional medicine, nutrition, that what you put on your body matters, what you put in your body matters, what you say matters, and started to really go down that path because all my conventional lab work said you're perfectly fine. And mm. at the same time, I was having panic attacks on the floor. I wanted to break my arm so I would not have to go into my corporate job anymore. That was how much I was just struggling. And at the doctor's office, it was your labs look good. Your thyroid's fine. You're not overweight go along. You get on your way. And, so, and there was a mismatch, right? That was the hardest part. There was a mismatch there between how I felt and what this person who was an authority, who was I was brought up to listen to, was telling me was happening in my body and there was no solution. So for one, I started to question myself. I started to question my sanity. Is this, you know, I'm doing air quotes all in my head. Is this something that's not actually happening? And luckily, I listened to that little piece of intuition in me that said, this cannot be how it is. If this is how it was for every mom, there would be no family with more than one child. And I know lots of them. So there had to be something. This could not be how it was for everyone postpartum. And I, I went down the path, found an amazing practitioner and started to see, yeah, my brain chemistry was extremely off. There were physical things going on. And that led to more and more. And as I practiced, we practiced functional medicine um, for maybe five or six years and started to see patterns of people coming in and doing literally all the things they mm -hmm. would be doing. And I don't even just mean they had gone to the functional side. They're in the holistic world. They're eating so much cleaner than I ever will. And they're taking the supplements and they're doing the functional tests and they're coming back year after year and nothing has shifted. And it just started to really bother me. Like, how is it that they are the people doing all the things and it's still just not, nothing's shifting. And over time we started to see a pattern of either a very strong um, emotional event, significant emotional event as a child, some kind of trauma or some very like really intense belief around healing. That they're not worthy of healing, that they won't get help from their family if they, they heal, all sorts of different nuances. And with the ability to actually help someone rewire those beliefs is when everything shifted. Mm. And they're taking the same supplements they were taking. <laughs> They're not changing what they're actually doing day to day. 
Actually, usually we're getting them to do less, like less yeah. things, less stuff. I do a heck of a lot less than I ever used to. Yeah, <laughs> Less saunas, less supplements, and they were getting better. So this just totally sparked my passion for understanding the brain and rewiring of the brain and our subconscious beliefs. And that is why we have mostly shifted into helping people who want to be leaders, people who want to guide others, people who want to be practitioners and coaches into really understanding this for themselves and for their clients. Yeah, that is really an interesting, like unique, but also not unique journey at the same time. It's unique to you, but I hear it all the time with this transition being in the corporate world or being under the pressure of a very, I guess, like stereotypical career. And then your body just waking you up. Lab mm -hmm. results coming back clean. And then there's just this moment in your life where you can't ignore it anymore. And that voice is going to keep getting louder and louder and louder until you listen to it and stop justifying it or making excuses or out rationalizing it because the brain is so good at doing that. We can out rationalize anything, even like a bear chasing us. I'm sure we can out rationalize it. And yet... Absolutely it'll keep getting louder until either your physical health starts to crumble, your mental health, or you get physically sick. Um, a story that I share often on this podcast is a similar experience to what you just shared um, years ago. I was living and working in Hong Kong, and I had a similar experience where my body just crashed, and I couldn't ignore it anymore. And it was this big wake-up call that I am not doing I'm not in an environment that is supporting my best self I'm not in an environment that's even allowing me to trust myself and my intuition and my experience of like how I'm experiencing my life and my everyday yeah absolutely. how um can you share how your hormonal clap your hormonal crash looked like postpartum I'm curious mm -hmm. like what were some of your symptoms so it started a little bit later than it didn't start right after I had my baby, which was why it was a bit confusing because I was like, this doesn't seem like postpartum depression or anything right after it was a little bit later, maybe a year to, when she was a year to 18 months. And I had never had any kind of um, panic attacks or anxiety at all. I really was mostly just a chill, a chill gal. And all of a sudden, I would just be totally overcome my whole body. I remember lying next to my daughter on this little mattress on the floor trying to get her to sleep. And I was having what I now know was a full panic attack. And I remember just like thinking and praying, like, I really hope she doesn't need anything from me, like that she doesn't turn to me, that she doesn't look at me like I felt just frozen there and just overcome with this feeling in my body, but also the thoughts. And that started happening more often. And I was just in this state of extreme fatigue. And I remember saying to a coworker at the time, something around like, Oh, I just, I can't just, I can't do this baby thing. Like I, I don't even want to go home. Like I I'm just, I can't do it. I'm exhausted. And I remember the mirror back from him, the look on his face of concern. I, I realized I was like, Oh, this is, this has actually gotten pretty bad because he was looking at me like, you know, should we be should we call someone? Yeah, for some safety, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I was just voicing that I'm just like exhausted and I can't, like, I can't just do alone baby time anymore. Like, I would, I just felt isolated and exhausted, and 
Um, yeah. So his look back at me, I remember that moment just being like, oh, I don't think this is, a, you know, normal. What is normal? But I don't think this is, he had kids and he was not recognizing this look um, in me. So I just started to realize something, something had to shift, something had to change. And luckily I reached out. Luckily I found support because when you're in that state, you can't see clearly, you can't feel yeah. clearly. And we've, through our process, we've found that there's we have a whole seven steps that we go through in our group online process. And the very first step that we go through is getting into parasympathetic, getting the physical body out of fight or flight. We teach a lot of different physical tools for that. We teach different processes. But the thing is, is that when you are in a, in a heightened state of fight or flight all the time, you cannot think your way out of a problem because you are what we call problem trance, right? You are just so focused on the problem that that is all you can see. That's all you can see anywhere. And that's where my body was so ramped up that with the body so ramped up, of course, the thoughts that followed are not clear. The path is not clear. Even getting help is not clear. And so in that state, I mean, I now for the rest of my life will always have some kind of coach or guide because it's you, it's hard to see when you're in it yeah. and people outside can say, Hey, here's, here's the steps. And I will reach out to my bit. I've luckily, I have an amazing business partner, Dr. Alex. And I will say, Hey, there's some, I'm in a little spiral here. Something doesn't feel right. Like, can you remind me what I would tell my clients? Because we can't always remember that for ourselves, Yeah, but getting the physical body calmed down was the, the, one of the very first steps for me that that really made a big difference. And when all of this was going on, Megan, were you still working? I was still working. I never did break my arm and I never did get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was yeah. still in a corporate job uh, for, let's see, I, I left that job when I finally decided to, to start my own business in health, maybe when she, my daughter was about two or three. So I made it a few years still. And at some point when I did get some help, it was actually a pretty quick turnaround for me in, for my journey it was like three to six months or some people that that's a lot longer to really restore, restore adrenal and hormone health. And as soon as I got that back, I was, I had so much clarity. I remember sitting in front of the woman who helping me and thinking, this is a job like Kurt, what she's doing is a job. This is amazing. Like I want to do what she does. This is like, this is just, so, this is awesome. I just didn't, you don't know it exists if you're not in the, this world. I didn't. And yeah. so, um, I just, I just made a decision. So people will come to me and be like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. I can't become a coach. I can't do a program. I can't learn whatever. I, I have kids. I have this, I have that. And I just share with you when you have made a decision and you're passionate, you can literally do anything. Cause I had a baby, a corporate job, you know, full-time corporate job. Yeah. That's, and in, that's I, insane. <laughs> like I, I was decided, just saying it like, that's insane. <laughs> that's I decided to go to become a health coach. And I also knew I wanted to be able to run functional lab work. So at the same time, I also did the functional diagnostic nutrition program. So I did both of those program within a year and a baby and then start and, and, and started a business. Cause I was like, this is happening. I went into work half hour early so I could work on things. I worked every day at lunch so I could be, you know, work through things. And I, when you're in that state, I just really do feel like you can, 
make anything happen. And from there, it's gotten easier and easier and easier because I, I delegate, I have systems, I have a team. Uh, In the beginning, though, it was just like, I know this is, I know this is what I'm meant to do. I feel so lucky that health crash. I mean, I don't wish it on anyone. And if it hadn't happened, I would still be sitting in a cubicle and I probably would have missed, you know, 90% of the things I've been able to be there for my kids. Like the, the really unconventional, that was the lesson. Like I was always unconventional growing up and I was told that that wasn't good. Like you're different from kids. You're too much, you're whatever. You shouldn't do that. You went to school. You can't throw away this degree. And really I'm like the unconventional is that's our superpower. That's like, you get to be a mom and have a business and be successful. You get to combine things. We get to be in functional medicine and throw out the food rules. Like you can do anything you want. Yeah. Um, I've, I resonate with that so much. And I'm curious to hear if you're, if you're open to sharing, of course, what, what kind of things were like unconventional about you growing up? Yeah. So I just told a story at the live event, how uh, I used to always stand back uh, at school. So I didn't do things first. I would stand on the sidelines and kind of wait for the other kids to do that, do things. And seems like no big deal. Although the teachers came to my parents and were like, we think she's just, you know, a little bit slower than the other kids. Like they were concerned about me and I heard this. So I Mm. took this in as I'm different and that's a problem. And my mom told me this much later in life. So, but I know I'm sure at a subconscious level that I made that decision. And what I was actually doing was standing back and watching. So I would watch and I would see which kids were successful and which kids, you know, had their tongue stuck to the pole, right? Like which mm. kids or did I not want to follow? I love that path? image. <laughs> I love that image. Right. So I realized later now looking back, I'm like, I wasn't, it wasn't that I was not smart. It was, I was watching and letting them do it first. And then I would model what worked for me, but this mm. was, this was considered like you in the way I was brought up, it was like, you really need to look and be a certain way. It doesn't matter if you really are that way inside, but as long as you're showing on the outside, like you get good grades, you do, you play sports, you know, you do well, you're nice to people, you kind of fit into the box, then it's, it's, it's good to go. But really deep down, I had all these things that I wanted to do or was doing that maybe nobody knew about, but as long as nobody knew, it was okay, right? There was just kind of this feeling of you can be different as long as long as nobody knows about it. That yeah. was kind of how it was for me. And like those hidden desires where you're passionate about certain things or you pick up certain hobbies, but they stay a secret. These like things right. that light you up and spark joy in you, they're only okay if they're like a side thing because you can't possibly transition into a career and a life that makes you happy and feel fulfilled like if you're not struggling then are you really succeeding exactly that messaging is strong yeah and I'm (laughs) wondering from like it's so clear as you're saying it like from your childhood and I'm wondering what you noticed as you were going through your career journey before your like before your crash like your physical health crash and your transition to what you do now what did you notice or and what can you share with us um about like that conditioning, that social conditioning that really disconnects us from 
harnessing like the wisdom of our own biology. What I realized was that it wasn't my dream I was following. It was, it was really my dad's dream and I'm a daddy's girl. So love you, dad. <laughs> if you're ever listening. I, <laughs> I, you know, I was good at math and it was like, Hey, you're good at math. My dad always wanted to be an engineer and mm. he couldn't, he had to run the family hardware, you know, small town family hardware business had been, um, you know, around hundred years and you couldn't do that. You couldn't stop and that back then. So he really encouraged me and it fit into what I was good at. And so I started to realize over the years of like, yes, I am. Yes, I am good at math. And yes, on paper, there are certain things that go well into the engineering category. And when you actually put me in there, I mean, I was the weird girl in my office. Like I brought in chia seeds and drank them in my water and we brought my brought in a juicer and had that at lunch and it was always like what does Megan have today what is that what is that oily smell or what is it's like that? the office talk right the awesome gossip what's what's Megan eating today <laughs> I think she's meditating right so what a weirdo just, <laughs> how dare she <laughs> It I was totally not, get it. It was not the standard there, right? It was not the standard. And when I when I started to not feel well at one point in the office, I uh, became really suspicious that there was a leak that would come in where my cubicle was and it would get fully wet. The whole carpet would get wet and then it would dry. And I'm like, ever since I moved to this area, I have been not feeling well and I'd get really sick. And so me even bringing up the idea that maybe there could be, you know, some mold in this building was everyone's looking at me like, what are you talking about? Right. This is just like, yeah, we're good. And I was like, I don't think we're good. All five people in this cubicle are out sick every other week. Right. But there just isn't, there wasn't anybody looking at it that way. Yeah. So I felt like I, I I stood out there too. It was just kind of an unconventional uh, pattern over and over yeah. and over. So yeah, luckily I found my path. <laughs> yeah. You harness that like skill of observation and observing what's going around on around you. Um, mm -hmm. When you share that, what, what comes up for me is there is also a level of kind of like stay in your place, stay in your box. And it's not your job to address whether there's potential mold growing under the carpet or there's potentially wrong because it's out of your job description. And I can't mm -hmm. speak for everyone, but I've had that experience too, where when you are more observant or when you do have that intrinsic um, like drive and that leadership ability, because that really is leadership, right? Like stepping outside of your job title and actually looking at the whole and seeing how things can improve, even if it has nothing to do with engineering. And yet, that is frowned upon a lot of the time and not accepted to share your observations. It's almost seen as, I don't know, maybe a threat even of some sort. It is because it disrupts the way things are done and they're in organizations. There's in, in a lot of places, there's the how it's always done, right? There's just like, no, this is just how it's always done. And we, we get stuck in that rut. I'm seeing that right now. So my daughter who's 12 I'm watching her. It's such a different generation. These kids, uh, it's so cool to watch because I feel like they, and I don't know if it's just because I'm in the world I'm in, but like she, they just seem to come in with much stronger boundaries, mm, much stronger really? intuition. Yeah. Wow. It's so That's fun. That's really to watch. exciting to hear. <laughs> yes. And as a mom, 
with my, you know, my programming as was a little, was much more like stay, stay in the box, Megan, right? Like you look and be a certain way. Like these are the rules you follow them. And so now I'm watching a daughter who's just in middle school who does, she doesn't follow the rules. She lives by her rules. And there's this part of me who's like, oh, this is awesome, right? She's going to be confident. She is confident and that's going to carry over. She's a leader. And then there's part of me who's like, oh gosh, you have to stay in the box, right? That was yeah. what I was taught is basically that equals love. So, right, there's this little little piece of me that feels that she goes into middle school and she's wearing something that I'm pretty sure she is not within dress code. And uh, she's like, that's fine, mom. She's like, I'll just, I'll just, she just says it's okay. Like she just walks by the teacher and they're like, Hey, put on a teacher sweatshirt. And she's like, okay. And keeps walking. She just, it just doesn't really bother her. She's figured mm-hmm. out the things that um, matter. She's like, I know which teachers care and which teachers <laughs> don't. She's already just figured out the process. And she's just like, these are just rules for no reason. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not going to follow them. <laughs> that's wow. That's actually like, I need to like take a moment to gather my thoughts about it, but that is so inspiring to hear and like shows how much we've progressed, like shows how much work mm-hmm. there is still to be done, but how much we've progressed as humans and especially the progression of like women's roles in society, because there is that like duality that comes up, right? It's like recognizing from your own developmental work and your own healing that yes, feel empowered, be confident be respectful, be compassionate, have humility, and it's okay to live by your own rules. And at the same time, you've experienced the consequences of not fitting into the box at such a young age and like the rejection or the comments or maybe even bullying in some cases that comes with that. So there's like that natural fear that I can imagine that comes from being a mom of also wanting to protect your daughter um, to not be like the weirdo because that doesn't feel good for anyone. And yet yeah. it's like a bit contradictory. And it's really great to hear that society's moving in that direction where there is more freedom, especially for children to be autonomous and to make their own decisions, which I think in the past wasn't so common. The, that's such an amazing point. And the not fitting in the box that often drives this um, desire to, right, to please, this desire mm-hmm. to follow, and this this desire and need where people are looking for. And I was one of them. So if you're resonating with this right now, I just want to tell you, I was one of them. And it's just our programming. There's stuff we can do about that. That's you know part of our process is actually finding the old beliefs and installing new ones. And the programming is so strong that when we see people who what you would think would be the most amazing clients, meaning they're so compliant. Like they are like, Hey, just tell me exactly what to do. I remember in the beginning of coaching being like, wow, these clients are fabulous. Like you could, you could give them like all you can eat now are beans and like a very specific green vegetable and they would follow it. Yeah. They would just be like, okay. They're like, I am only going to have water at 9am and and 10pm. Okay. Like anything so good at basically depriving themselves so good at following what someone else says and the pattern became almost the better that they were 
at following the instructions, the specific protocol or guidelines, the longer it took them to actually restore optimal health, mm. which started to make sense as I understood the beliefs because they were so good at overriding their own one physical body yeah, to, they're... you know, they were getting just anything. They were not able to hear any level of intuition of like, does this work for me? Right. Mm. Um, we teach people how to think, not what to think. Like, how can I think about this? Not this is what you should do. And if someone is telling this is what you should do, you have to keep in mind there's millions of our bodies are all so incredibly different. Like there yeah. really isn't, unfortunately, there isn't one diet, there wasn't one pill, there isn't one anything. It's so unique. But once we tap into that, once we really get the body, so we get the body in a good place as far as parasympathetic, like we get out of fight or flight, and then we get really clear on the vision of what we do want. And then what we do, the next step we do is upgrading brain chemistry. So we just, we know it's really pretty tricky to, to work against something like that. And then we're finding what those old beliefs are, dropping them, installing the new ones. We're getting really solid in our habits the thing that will secure those new beliefs in like now the day-to-day -day action. And then it's up leveling and rinse and repeat. You go back to the beginning and you're just doing this over and over. You can do this with anything. We've had people do this because they wanted to have a smooth cycle or they wanted to have clear skin, or we've had people do this when they want to build a coaching business. Or for me, I use the process to, I have this, uh, I manifested this amazing lake house and I really just went through the steps. Yeah. So it's a just pretty cool process when you know that it's a process, but you insert the parts for you, right? Like you're using yeah. your intuition, you're using tapping into you for each part of it. It's not like now I do parasympathetic. It's just, these are the tools I have. Which one is available for me today? Yeah. They won't always be available. So if it was, if I forced myself to do um, deep breathing every day or force myself to do, you know, an hour meditation, no matter what, or whatever it is, if I just forced it, it's not exactly getting into parasympathetic. Yeah. But if I go, Hey, today, all I'm available for is like a little chest pump. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Right. I'm in a bad mood. So we're teaching them to just really feel where they are. You then use the tool that fits where they are. Yeah, I really appreciate that approach. And um, in my practice, I have similar women come to me that are so good at following the rules. And I have this one, one invitation for them each time is to like not complete the homework. <laughs> like, it. don't do it, you know, because it's so deeply conditioned within us or not everyone, but for a lot of people to show up as the perfect student, show up in the perfect way to transform, to heal, to rewire, to all to do all of these things. And yet it's counterintuitive in this setting. And when you can get to a place where you're able to just show up as you are on a call, not having done any of the reflections or any of the reading that was assigned, congratulations, like you're doing the work. Like that is the work. <laughs> it may not look like it. You may not be following the rubric in that moment, but it does have a huge effect on your biology and your brain. I love that as their homework. We had a, I went to an, an 18 day speaker training. So it was a very, very intense training. <laughs> uh, it was about a year ago. And 
in the process, one part of the process, so it was to become a speaker, but also to become a trainer of um, NLP and hypnosis that we now train in. And there was a test. There was a test. It was an eight-hour test. It was totally closed book. There was a lot to learn and memorize for this test because if you're going to train this, you need to know it really well, right? And there's this test. And I, I was brought up in, I'm like, I'm a good student. I no answers. I take tests well, right? I study. So I, I was studying like crazy. I was spending so much time studying, all the time studying. And then I had this other, this friend who was also going through it. And she's an amazing speaker. And sh she was focusing on her speech. You know, we were going to give a signature talk and there was actually a competition on the last day. And here I am studying and she's working on her speech. And so as we get closer to the end, she's, you know, hasn't really studied very much. And uh, she actually, throughout the process, she got two new clients that both had just paid her $15,000 for a breakthrough. And then she ended up winning the contest. She, she had the best signature talk. Wow. I got 103 on the test. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I was like, what does this even mean? I mean, I'm mm. I'm happy that I know the content well. So it's not like a loss. Although it was such a good thing for me to see, like to decide in real life. Cause yeah, we're in a training, yeah. but we also have, I mean, that's a bit, we have a business outside of this. I was like, would I rather have two new amazing clients or 103 on the test? Right. Yeah. <laughs> She barely passed and she actually got hired by the people doing the training because she gave such an, she's an amazing speaker and she gave such an amazing signature talk. And it was such a good thing for me to see. They were like, some of you actually need to study less and, and do less <laughs> and yeah. maybe, maybe make a phone call. And some of you are right, like avoiding it and not doing it at all, but we could see our patterns. It was a pretty powerful experience for me and to, uh, I was able to undo that programming of like good, the good student. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's coming up right now is I know you speak a lot about compassion as well. And like, where does compassion tie into noticing these patterns and being able to let go of those roles that we've played for so long, right? Because you can't just undo like years and years, decades and decades of this, um, like the way we move through life overnight. So how does compassion tie into that? And were you compassionate with yourself in that moment, specifically when you noticed that you were striving for the marks and maybe overlooking different parts of the experience that could have benefited you more? Yeah, once I was able to really see the pattern, I could have compassion. And in the moment when I was just studying and studying and studying and had my head down, I, I didn't and I couldn't. So it was, it was definitely a little bit after the fact. The compassion piece, we've added really to emphasize that in, in our brand and in our programs, because that was one area we saw missing often in the world of um, medicine, NLP, hypnosis. There was, there was this pushing that what seemed to be kind of over, overriding, basically overriding people's feelings and beliefs. The tricky thing, though, is that sometimes compassion actually doesn't look all that compassionate. And let me, let me explain because we do want to also honor where someone is. And if they are coming to you for a shift and a breakthrough, holding that boundary for them, 
So if they're doing something over and over, if they're not showing up, the most compassionate thing we could do for someone is, for example, when they sign an agreement to say they're going to do do something, if they say, for example, they're not allowed to come to their next co- coaching session unless they have done the tasking, the homework that has been given. If they show up and they have not done the tasking, which of course happens, the actually, you know, you may, you may think, oh, compassionate would be just let it slide. Actually, the most compassionate thing to do in that moment is to hold them to that and you do not have the call because that is going to be leading to their highest learning, their highest good. That has been some of the places that the women I work through have had the biggest breakthrough is around something like that because they're like, oh my gosh, why would I show up to this call? Why would I be paying you and not be actually doing the things in between that I say I want, right? It was a big eye-opener. And if I hadn't held her to that, she wouldn't have even, she would have just gone through the whole program and not done the things. So of course, the compassion part is also in how you say it. I'm not like, you're bad, go away. We don't have a session, right? It's like, hey, interesting. This is a pattern. We won't be having the session and here's what we're going to do. So it is just this paradigm in a way, a paradox of, holding the space in holding people to what they say and to what they want and also Mm -hmm. having compassion. We are all about people feeling their feelings. We are all about having a safe container so that that part and so that they feel completely comfortable to move through anything they need to move through. And we have between Dr. Alex and I, we've been through all the ups and downs, many ups and downs of health journey, of business journey, of life journey, of partner marriage journey. So we, we are there. We, we have been through most of it and we can have the compassion for where they are and hold them to the standard of where they're wanting to go and what they asked us for. Yeah. That's really a great way to look at it and define compassion because it leaves room for making space for the whole human and the whole human experience and at the same time holding someone to a higher standard and not being complacent with their actions and downplaying the impact that certain patterns like not showing up when they've agreed to show up can have yeah because we say where else in your life are you doing this behavior that is completely getting you away from the results that you want where how we do one thing is how we do everything right so if you're half showing up to this you're probably half showing up to your marriage you're probably half showing up to your job right so we just starting to bring awareness uh, to the patterns I found out early on I had a pattern of I would join programs and I love learning right I love just all that intellectual stuff and then when it came to the actual like doing the thing (laughs) Like the part of the program, for example, there was this whole workbook that I needed to fill out for a program. And at the end, it was basically like, what do you want out of this? And what is your goal? And writing it down. And I did the whole workbook. And then I got to the last three questions. And I was like, you know what? This is really important. So I'm going to put it down and do it later when the kids aren't around. Like, we're going to hold off on this. And then, you know, another week went by in the program. And he said, hey, have you done that? And I realized I had a pattern of doing the easy stuff, doing the fun stuff that just kind of lit up my dopamine pathways of like, ooh, new exciting information and not implementing and not becoming the new identity. 
And I was yeah. very called out. I called myself out in the moment of like, oh, shoot, <laughs> this is this is not. So we spot that all the time, right? We're like, okay, we know the learners who aren't actually wanting to change or do anything. That's fine if you want to stay the same. Yeah. And if you want to transform, you got to do something different. Yeah, then we're going to have to need to work a different muscle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I actually, I have actually um, a similar pattern where I do the things that are easy and I feel like many people do. And then when it comes to taking bigger actions that are actually going to move the needle in certain areas of my life, those are the ones that I will leave for later because they're important. And then later never comes. And then there's just like that perpetual cycle of like feeling guilty about it, then feeling ashamed. And I think compassion is really important in these areas. Kind of like we um, just mentioned moments ago to hold yourself to a higher standard, but also not shaming yourself for having repeated that pattern again, because it is a part of the process of noticing and then correcting, noticing and coming back, noticing and coming back and just little by little by little doing better and better and really holding yourself accountable or allowing yourself to be held accountable and then having that space to like talk about what comes up because accountability can be uncomfortable. It's not always the most comfortable conversation. Not at all. One of our clients said to us when she first started working and she, working with us and she really wanted to grow her business. Uh, she's a chiropractor and acupuncturist, an amazing practitioner. And she said, I don't know how you guys are doing it. You're doing all the things, right? It looks like you have all these programs and podcasts and all these things. And I said to her, I said, actually, I'm a hundred percent sure that you work way more than me and way harder than me. And I know why it's the, the tasks that take the least amount of time, but are the, like you said, it's the scariest. They're the reaching out to that person that's, you don't really, you don't feel comfortable reaching out to. It's the planting the seed that you want to be speaking on a stage or speaking on a podcast or something that you could pretty quickly gain you a lot of traction. Those versus filling our time with the checklist tasks, filling mm -hmm. our time with answering everybody else's concern, making pretty images or <laughs> updating the website for the eighth time. There's plenty that can fill the space. And when we're delegating and having someone hold us responsible for no, you actually said these are the things that you want to do and focus on. Um, it's a lot less time, really. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit more effort in the beginning because it's new. But once mm. you start to get some momentum doing it and actually practice it, it just becomes another thing to do, right? Another yes. thing that needs to be done that's easy. That's a part of the process of getting to where you want to go. Mentally and emotionally, it's much more effort in the beginning because it's yeah. scary and it usually is drawing on our deep fears and beliefs. Those yeah. are the tasks that are like, who am I good enough? So I, uh, do you know Byron Katie's work and the four Oh, questions? I do. Yeah, okay. actually it sits in my work as well. Okay, yeah. cool. So I have an amazing story about this because, you know, her, for the, anyone who doesn't know it, you know, um, one of her, her first question is, is this true? Is it true? And so I yeah. am... I am obsessed with her and I love her. And I was like, I want to have Byron Katie on our podcast. <laughs> that was 
And I, and then my next thought was like, I can't have Byron Katie on the podcast. Like, who am I to ask Byron Katie to come on the podcast? She'd never do that. She's busy. She speaks all over. And I had all these stories around it and I was able to immediately catch myself. Mm. And I went through the four questions and I said, is this true? I was like, I don't know that that's true. Maybe she would be on the podcast. And then it was so cool. It was so cool. So I cleared the belief that I wasn't worthy of asking. I went to the website, her website. I filled in a form that was on the website. It was just like, do you want Byron Katie to speak at your event? And I said, yeah, yes. my podcast. <laughs> my the podcasting event <laughs> in my exactly. bedroom. <laughs> the, the form that I filled out really wasn't for podcasting. So that could have stopped me too. I'd be like, oh, that's yeah. not really what this is for. But I was like, well, it's a media form. We'll sign it up. I'll, I'll sign it. I'll fill it out. Filled it out. Her team got back to me within two or three days. And I got to interview the Byron Katie. No way. Podcast. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. That's huge. Actually, that's really inspiring for me because I also have a list of like, in the future, I will reach out to when I am worthy or big enough to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? It's mm -hmm. like, is it the action that will help gain traction and really create the opportunity to share incredible knowledge that we're not taught in schools and inspire people around the world and increase your reach? Or is it the opposite of doing whatever smaller tasks that actually aren't gaining that momentum? So kind of separating you from that goal that you have and the cool thing is that when it doesn't work out and when they don't respond because that has happened too right you're hearing the story because she responded <laughs> there's yeah. been plenty that didn't and the cool thing about that is that one we've had things we've had things requests we've put out there that took two years to come back around they came back to, I'm this actually happened where someone responded to a direct message that we wrote to them on Instagram two years later. <laughs> I don't really? even know how that happens because I'm not sure how that would have come back to the surface. Totally. Somehow somebody saw it in some way and she came back to us and said, I would like to collaborate. So it would have been very easy for us to say, we didn't get that. That was a failure, right? Like we failed at that versus just, it's just feedback. and. You, you never really know. You never really know when it's going to come back around or what the timing is. I believe that it all happens in our best timing and there's a reason for it. So for me now, I'm just like, okay, let's just put it out there. Put it out there, see, see what, what happens. happens. Yeah. And what's, what I'm hearing as well is how important reframing your beliefs around certain situations is and challenging them. So it sounds like you were in a position within yourself and your business where you were actually able to hold the reality of inviting someone like Byron Katie onto your podcast. Maybe five years ago, that wouldn't be the case. Maybe you were much newer. Maybe you didn't have the systems in place, the confidence within yourself to be able to even facilitate a conversation with Byron Katie herself or any other, I guess, like more well-known 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 person in the world and yeah. in this transformational space and I'm wondering if that's something that you do with your students as well like this idea of um like steps and believability because mm. does that make sense I, like I want yeah. you to elaborate before I say too much and 
take the mic from you. Like, I want you to elaborate if that makes sense. <laughs> well, one of my one of my mentors, you know, taught us the ladder of believability. So it's exactly yeah. what you're saying. And the identity and just expanding into a new identity over and over and over. That's why we have our seven steps. It is a rinse and repeat. You reach a new identity, then you live and you act from that. You're doing the habits and the things that that type of person would do. So when we're doing subconscious reprogramming work, which basically just means we're taking an old limiting belief or an emotion, we're shifting the neural pathways into something that we want them to be. So, you know, if you've you've got a super highway, if you've thought over and over and over and over, I'm not good enough, then you have the super highway to not good enough. And you have this small little path to maybe I can do it. And we can actually break down the super highway to the not good enough path and, and build up the I am good enough pathway, I can do anything, right. And yeah. we just start building and building and building. And the the actions, though, so after we do the process that we use to, to clear those beliefs and shift those beliefs, the, the real work comes after that for the person, the client, me, you, to now do the action of the person who has this new mm -hmm. belief. So I said, okay, now you're a person who believes you can have anything you want. How are you going to act tomorrow? How are you going to act in the next week? What are you going to do being that person who believes they can have everything they want? If we don't change how we act in the world physically, right, how we actually interact with people, then we'll just go back to that old pathway. Yeah. And we build these little small steps, like you said, right? These little, like, what's the very next thing you, what's the next level you have available to you to, to build on this? And as you do it, it get, they get bigger and bigger and bigger because over time, and we, we really believe that the flexibility of a coach or a practitioner uh, leads to success for clients. So the more flexible I can be, if I'm willing to do anything and everything or something silly or whatever it is for them, then I have all the options open to me. If I'm like, oh, I can't do that. That would look weird. I can't say that to her. She could get offended. And then I'm actually, you know, holding the person back. So we actually do exercises all the time to get out of our comfort zone, like lie on the floor at Whole Foods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because I want to offer or like contribute to this perspective in a bit of a different way, because we're talking about like these bigger goals of who we're going to become. And I think that idea sometimes of allowing ourselves to dream to that bigger scale can be paralyzing in itself. And I know for some of my clients, like that next step might be resting for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And we push off these like little tasks because we see them as like unworthy or stupid or like they're not going to have a big effect. But at the end of the day, it's the application of even the smallest things that creates the bigger transition that allows you to be comfortable in your body and in your mind and really rewire your experience and your brain and your physiology to be able to then lead or work from a more relaxed place, for example, or reach out to a different type of health practitioner that can support you on your journey instead of going back to those people's that the people that don't make you feel heard and um, don't have that like mutual respect with where you are on your journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, what you're saying is how does the dream make you feel? Because when we go to, when we go too big, it immediately feels overwhelming. Like I can never get there and we'll just shut down. Yeah. So some people get really excited by the details 
and they can, and then they can visualize it even more. And they're like, yeah, I really want that. And I'm going to go for it. And for me, for example, with the lake house, if I were to think about the details of how that would happen, my brain would have said that ain't happening. There would be nothing, there would, nothing would be supporting that. I wouldn't have been able to see options when they came in. So instead I kept it really, really broad someday, somewhere, someplace, (laughs) you know, I'm going to have this thing. And I had a vision of it and how it looked and how it would feel. And I could really get into the feeling of that. And it just depends on where you are with Dr. Alex, my business partner, and she started uh, because she had chronic pain and undiagnosed endometriosis. So all sorts of physical things. And so for her early on, to think about a body with zero pain, to just think like, I feel good. That was too much. That was too much of a jump for her. Yeah. Right. She literally would start with focusing on her elbow. She, right. When her whole body Mm -hmm. is in chronic pain because it had turned into chronic pain syndrome, she would focus on like, Hey, my elbow feels good. Right. There's a part, she'd find a place on her body that didn't have a feeling or a sensation and focus on that. And it's like, I'm maybe at that point, you're like, maybe someday I'm beginning to beginning to get ready. Like I'm on my way to, it would feel good if like we can change the statements as we get closer, maybe just getting to neutral is all you can, is all you can get, get up for. And then as you expand beyond that, I mean, now, you know, her pain is a thing of the past. It's just just not even a thing for her anymore. So she can actually visualize her whole body, which she couldn't for a long time. She couldn't even see her pelvis when she would visualize it because she had such a block around that area. There's so much trauma around that area now, right? So so it is baby steps. And we will see people who will, sometimes they dream really big to sabotage themselves because then they get to go, see, I didn't make it. Sometimes they'll dream too small, too small, but right. They'll go really small because they want to always stay safe. Mm-hmm. And we want that somewhere in the middle. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a push and you still feel good about it. Right. You can yeah. still get into the feeling of it. Yeah. That's, I, I thank you for normalizing that. It's such an yeah. important thing, I think, to bring into the space and into this conversation that those smallest visualizations and those smallest forms of embodiment are the catalyst to your bigger transformation, to bigger changes in your life. And like one can't happen without the other. I actually have this funny thing I do. I live in like a pretty bougie area in Australia at the moment. And um, there's a lot of like multi-million dollar houses around and like one, like just completely um, destabilize the market. I think it's like up for like 25 million and it's the oh only house in this area that's that expensive. And like four years ago, I wouldn't even fathom that this is something that I am even allowed to dream of because my upbringing, like as a child of immigrants, who's like first generation in America, my grandparents like survived World War II, you know, like that isn't something that was normalized in my childhood. And after being here, like I have this fun game I play with my partner, like we, we like chose like two houses that we love in the area architecturally. And like, every time we drive by, we like put the blinker on and like, pretend we're driving into the driveway or like, pretend we're like, we're going to have this house one day, like in a different location. Or if like, we see the lights on, we're like, who's in our house? Like, where's like, where's our security guard to get these people out of our house. But four years ago, that would have seemed outrageous. And I probably would have gotten triggered if someone suggested it as well. Mm, Beautiful. 
Yes. So where does the, um, like, why are most people afraid to dream? I think it's, uh, that we've, we've failed before and the fear of that feeling again. So there becomes this protective mechanism of, well, if I don't dream, I can't fail, right? If I, if I don't go for anything, then there's nothing to fall short of. And obviously, right, if we don't go for anything, then we can't, we don't even get anywhere. Whereas if we go for something big and half of it happens, we're still way further than we would have been or, or we learned so much, right? I've, any program I've ever bought, I've gotten so much value out of it. Even if like what I learned is like, this is not the way mm-hmm. I'm going to do it or the way my body works, right? It's just it's feedback. So we go for something big, doesn't work. It's feedback. And we like to just keep changing the timeline. So, okay. We didn't hit that goal yet just because I chose December and it didn't happen yet. Like it could be next year. So it to me is always continuing to lead you to that path because going, even, even saying I want something bigger than is a little bit comfortable for you. You get to see all the beliefs come up. They all pop up right in your face. You can't have that. We're not those type of people, right? You can't that's be a good mom and have a yeah. good business, right? You making money, that's for other people, whatever it is. You start to just see, you can't talk to Byron Katie. Yeah, <laughs> Byron Katie wouldn't give you her time. Don't be ridiculous. And look what happened. She did, right? So you you get to see it. You get to see it real time. If you're willing to sit with it, do the work on the individual things that come up, then the next time, you can expand a little bit yeah. each time you get to expand. It's a way of staying safe, which I, I just want everyone to know that if you're in the place where you're staying safe, it's not time for guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Everything we do is protective. Everything we do is for our highest. Like we are doing it because it's protective. Our brain is doing it to help us. So when we talk, people talk about sabotage. I mean, we're kind of like, it's not really a thing because yeah. it was always for you. Yeah. It's just maybe not what you want at the moment. And you get to rewrite that. It's just, it's always to protect you for something. But once you start to do this work, I'm transformation junkie. I've never said it that way, but like, I love (laughs) this stuff so much that I put myself in weird positions in intense trainings over and over because each time I get to see that new layer, I'm like, Oh, Oh, that popped back up. Oh, right. That was still there. And I know I have the tools to shift that. I know I have the tools to change it. And I know as we get through the layers of it, Alex and I were just recognizing, this is just one small example, but when you have the people-pleasing tendency, which we both were very, very strong in, we used to spend two hours sometimes, two hours talking about an email that would come in and how we were going to answer it. If it was something like someone was upset or wanted a refund or something, right, that was an, a, li- a little bit of an uncomfortable request that we were like, I don't know how we're going to answer this. We would go back and forth. We would spend all this time. We would get into our fear. We would get into our resentment. Why would they even ask that I, and go back and forth? Like, well, should we hold the standard? Should we not? What You know, over yeah. and over and over. And yeah. now when they come in, whatever it is, just had one recently. Someone wanted something in a specific way. And we wrote back, here is how our policy works. Yeah. <laughs> we pay out on this date. And that was the end of it. it they didn't have a problem with it. They yeah. asked. Just because they asked doesn't mean it's going to be a yes. And 
there was so there was no energy put into it and it felt so good because I realized like we the boundary or in holding boundaries and keeping boundaries and just having standards we didn't do for so many years and it is exhausting yeah to change each time and it was out of fear it was like but what if they get upset yeah and <laughs> even though what does they... it mean about me what does it mean about me if they're upset or if they don't respond in the way that is going to feel good or we create these stories of like how someone can potentially respond and get all of this anxiety about it without actually knowing that that's going to happen and then procrastinating mm-hmm. further and i just had something else to contribute to what you're saying that inspired me and i completely lost it so give me a second to try to yeah. find it again um well, we oh, basically oh go ahead you thought i i remembered yeah i got it so communication is such an important part of leadership whether you're leading yourself which self-leadership is at the foundation of being able to show up and lead other people whether it's in your family or in in work and communication is like one of the most uncomfortable things to learn and what with what you're saying with your example it can be so energy sucking but also so paralyzing to be able to have those conversations and it's like a catch-22 like you have to be uncomfortable and take these scary actions in order to eventually not be uncomfortable with them and to feel okay doing them Um, I know that we've been on for a little bit over an hour so I want to be really mindful and considerate of your time. I know that it's later where you are in the U.S. at the moment. If there's any last thoughts you have on that, um, please yeah, one last share. On yeah, please share. But if I you have to go, the... also completely respect no, it. Totally <laughs> I, I am a talker, so this happens. <laughs> the reframe, I think, for us was that it was actually doing people a disservice to not hold the policy. So we're thinking again, right? I'm being nice and being compassionate by just, you know, giving them what they're asking for. And by not actually holding to the standards and the policy, not saying there's not going to be exceptions, of course, there are things that happen, was allowing them to follow a pattern that maybe wasn't serving them in their life. And we've had enough times where we've now held the boundary and people have thanked us. So for example, a woman in a, in training, so in-person training, we had an in-event pricing of $20,000 to do um, a year-long mentorship. And we said, if you leave this container, it goes up to 24, right? It was only for for in-training. And she said, oh, I really want to do it, but I just am not sure. So she's like, okay, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. I'll, I'll get back to you. And when she came back to join, she said, okay, it was a week later, not that much time. And she's like, okay. So she's like, can I get that in-training pricing? And it was so hard for me. I love this woman so much. She's one of my favorite clients, like so fun to work with. And I was like, I don't want to charge you more, but I was like, I, we really have to stick to this just because this is the container and this is, these are the guidelines and the boundaries. And so I said, no, I'm sorry. Like it, it it's after the date we said, and it is it's now up to the other pricing. And she actually came back and thanked me a day later. She said, thank you for doing that because that helped show me that I can do that in my business and I can do that with my family and with my kids. And that it actually made me feel more safe. Like you've got this and there's a process and you will be holding to it. And there's a thing we're going to do. And it led to us working together in an even more powerful way. And she thanked me 
So enough of these kind of things have happened that I now see the power and know the power of sticking to boundaries and guidelines. Personally, health, my own health, like my own boundaries, and definitely nowhere near perfect. It's always a work in progress. And I've gotten the feedback. My brain has gotten the feedback enough times that people actually want it. They actually crave. It's just like kids. They push up against the boundary and you think what they want is for you to give in. Really what they want is to see where's the boundary and am I safe? And we can do that every day with ourselves as well. So that was just a huge breakthrough for me. And I hope that that hits people in different ways and just they can think about how that applies to them in their life. Yeah. It sounds like a really great permission slip Mm -hmm. to be able to enforce the boundaries that secure your needs in whatever capacity in your life and trusting that you're going to be safe when you do so. And that if at any point something isn't feeling safe, then that's another invitation for a conversation or to be more, I guess, like observant of your environment and really decide whether that's where you're supposed to be in this moment in time, or maybe it's time to do something else or go somewhere else or change something. Absolutely. On that note, Megan, where and when do you feel most like yourself? I feel most like myself on the stage. Mm. I got to speak and be in front of the most amazing group of women last weekend and podcasting, speaking wherever it is. I am able to share and I I can step into my full identity, uh, my full vulnerability. Many people came up to me after and said, holy cow, that was so vulnerable. And I felt your emotion. And I see that that comes back, that they feel it as well. And it gives them permission as well. So that is currently right now, just my favorite place to be. I feel like I'm really serving my purpose in helping people get out of their own stuff and see that they have all the possibility of all the things that they want inside of them. That's beautiful. And where can people find you? What's next? Yes. So come on over to zestygender.com is currently our website. We are totally rebranding to Zesty and our podcast is going to be becoming Zesty, but right now it's still all Zesty Ginger. And um, we have a free series coming up depending on when this airs. So the first one will be February 16th, but there's three parts and it will be live even if it's after the fact. So we're going to be teaching people success habits for um, coaches, entrepreneurs, practitioners, leaders, anyone who wants to lead themselves, lead their family, all about how to really tap into the seven steps that we talk about and use that for your success. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Megan from Zesty Ginger as much as I did. If you loved what you heard today, think of three women in your life right now that might benefit from this conversation as well, and go ahead and forward them this episode. We're not meant to do this work alone, and we're not meant to be on this journey alone either. Be sure also to tag us in your stories on Instagram or send us a DM at Zesty Ginger or Expand and Impact to share how this conversation landed from you. We absolutely love hearing from you. And as always, take what resonates and leave what doesn't. That's it for this week and cheers to your health, wealth, and happiness. And I'll catch you in the next episode.
Remember, expansive education plus inspired action equals an impactful life.